recording, Josh? Thank you so much. All right, well, we're in Lent, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about Lent, and then we're going to go to this passage, uh, not such an easy one, at least not for me. Maybe it's easy for you to hear those words, but... Um, so Lent, I want us to think about Lent as a time of training and preparation, and this should be very familiar to us in other avenues of life. Uh, for Emily to learn how to play the piano as she does took a lot of training and work, right? I mean, a lot. And now she can play it while she's thinking about something else, hopefully maybe worshiping God or thinking like the words on the screen aren't right. And it, <laughs> that, no, but you can do it while you're playing, right? It, get, it goes from like playing the key, like whatever, what is it, the key chart? The, what? Scales? <laughs> Mark the piano players like scales. He knows what it's called. I don't know what it's called. Scales, right? You, it goes, and, you don't, and you're trying to figure out where your hands go and when do I push my foot to the pedal. And it's this very conscious, effortful thing. And then it gets to a place where you can do it much more effortlessly, more expertly, because you've trained. You do this in sports, and it becomes second nature, and we do it in the military. There's training for all kinds of things. If you want to get better at something, you have to practice. But we don't think about faith like training. But I want us to think about it this way. Lent is boot camp. Lent is our time to say, I'm going to take my faith seriously. For the next 46 days, I want to really intentionally get better. I want to work on one thing. I want to remove one thing that's a barrier that doesn't edify me. And I'm going to try to get closer to God, right? And the goal is that if we can train and we can get shaped into the likeness of Christ, then we're not going to fall asleep when Jesus needs us. And we're not going to betray like Judas when we feel brokenhearted and disappointed. And we're not going to be the Sanhedrin. And we're not going to be Peter when the time comes and he denies Jesus three times. All of these stories, all of the stations of the cross are disciples that are simply not ready for game day. They're not, they haven't prepared and they haven't practiced. So when all of a sudden we get thrown into the deep end and our adrenaline kicks in and we're afraid or we're not sure what to do, we become selfish creatures, self-preservation. My comfort, my safety, my survival, that's what matters, right? And this is what Peter does, and this is what the disciples do. So I want to be someone who takes my faith seriously. I'm going to challenge you to do the same. And this is a good time. It's like part of the Christian calendar that says, all right, let's do this, guys. We can go back to basic training. We can, we can start to practice in some small way how to be Christian, so that's, that's the challenge. That's what I think the goal is, for me at least, during this Lenten time. It's not just some ritual we do every year. It's not just some, oh, I'll go through the motions. It's like a conscious time, an intentional time for our faith. Um, so today's passage, it's, it's tough for me a little bit. Paul can be hard. Is it, is it, are you okay with me saying this? I hope so. I mean, I, like there are just things, like sometimes I'll read the Bible and it just... Ugh, like I'm wrestling with it. Like, I don't know what I think about this, right? And I'll be honest with you, far from a detriment, I actually think God welcomes it, right? Like God's big enough for me to say, I'm not sure what to make of this, God. I don't know how I feel. And with Paul, it happens a lot. And it's a lot about the tone. Like you read that and it just feels judgy. It's like sexual immorality, 23,000 died, and then they ate too much, revelry or whatever, 
they were cast by, you know, eaten by snakes. And you have like this sense, like I have this feeling of just like, like arrogance and judgment. But I don't think that's the right tone. I think it's the tone I give it, right? I think it's the tone, the lens I use to read it. Like if we change it, it's different. What's the basic principle? What's going on in 1 Corinthians here is that sin, things we do that we know we ought not do, lead to death, separation, isolation, right? It often doesn't lead to actual death. Not for me, it hasn't. It leads to something like spiritual death. I feel like I'm horcruxing myself. You guys watch Harry Potter? Read Harry Potter? No! I saw someone shaking their head no. Well, that's okay. You're, now you're in for a treat at some point. So our, we're a Harry Potter family. Ravenclaw. Just, we actually have all four. Do you know what Kel's house is? Slytherin. <laughs> it's totally Slytherin. Yeah! And, she, and she tries to retake it all the time, my wife, and it's always Slytherin. Um, but horcruxing is when you do things that literally tear your soul, that are harmful to you, that are not, you're doing things that, are, that you were not created for, right? Uh, sin breaks relationship with God. It makes me feel distant. It makes me feel shame. It makes me feel like I can't connect to God. It hurts other people, right? There are telltale signs. And to me, this is what Paul's saying. So with this lens, I read 1 Corinthians saying something like this. Oh, Joe, there's a different way to be. There's a different way to live. You can embrace God's love. You can take it deep inside of yourself and truly live the abundant life, a life filled with service and love and purpose and meaning, right? You don't have to do these other things that lead to you horcruxing yourself anymore. You don't have to do the things that lead to death anymore. When I phrase it that way, suddenly it's like a hopeful invitation Paul's giving me. Like, hey, we can live differently rather than this, right? So maybe, maybe this is an invitation to live differently in the world. So one of the things Paul mentions is idolatry. And this is what I want to talk about today, idolatry. So historically, the root of all sin is what? Christian said, what was it? The root of all sin? I don't know. I'm, I, I'm waiting for it. That's not, it's not, that's not it. Oh, you said money. People say the root of all evil is money. Historically, it's pride. So you have, oh, I feel like I'm getting a, a reverb here. Is this off? No, I don't know why. Um, the, root, the root of all evil is pride. So here's how it looks historically. You've got seven uh, vices, right, like envy and greed. But the root of that tree is pride, right? So money is one of the branches, but it's not the trunk. It's not, the, it's not what embeds it in the ground, right? Uh, John Wesley didn't quite see it this way. My colleague, Diane LeClaire, highlights this. Because thinking about the root of all evil, all sin as pride, connects to some who have power, who have a strong sense of self, who feel like they're going to use that to lord it over other people. But for 
a lot of the population, pride is not the struggle. It's a feeling of not liking myself, having no self, only having an identity in other people, in being a mother or a husband or a this. And I, and I, I, I'm, I have a lack of self. So you have the problem of pride, too much self, but you have the other side of that coin, which is not enough self. And so John Wesley says, the root of all of these things is idolatry. And idolatry happens for those that are prideful, because I put myself at the center, or my business, or my position, or my power, and that's idolatry. Or I lack a self, and I try to find myself in my relationships, in what people think of me, in my insecurity, and that's also idolatry. It's still thinking about myself all the time. It's just not in a prideful way. It's in a, I'm the worst. The prideful person walks into a room and is immediately thinking about and judging other people. What do I think about what's going on? But an insecure person walks into the room and it's still about them, but it's what is, what is everyone thinking of me? What do they think of me? So Wesley says idolatry is the root. I like this better, right? I happen to struggle with pride. So like tradition serves me. I, I get it. I need to be reminded. But not everyone does. But I think we all struggle with idolatry. So I want to talk about it a little bit, just briefly. Because in the Old Testament, idolatry gets three of the big ten commandments. Three of the ten commandments deal with idolatry, right? It's, it's important. But it's hard in a, for a modern person to understand this, to see this well, because... Uh, we think of it like, it's not as though I walk around the mall and I'm like, oh my gosh, a statue of Baal, I'm going to go worship it, right? Like that, that's the kind of idolatry happening in the Old Testament. Like they lived in their minds in a polytheistic world, many gods, but Yahweh was the most powerful, right? So idolatry happened all the time. It's like, oh, I don't know if these Babylonian gods are pretty attractive. Maybe I'll worship one of them, right? That's not our thing. Right? So we can easily think to ourselves, well, we, I don't struggle with this. This is not an issue. But if we redefine idolatry as those things that are of our greatest concern, the things we care about the most, spend the most time in, the things we worship, met, right, in a metaphorical sense, that's our idolatry. So uh, I want to think about the church for a minute. Traditionally, lots of churches, you want to know one of the idols for the church, the way it falls into idolatry? It's building. You've all been part of this, right? It's the building. We've got to preserve the building. It's so beautiful. We love it. We can't let that group in here. We can't let food in here. We can't let the kids in here. It's our, oh, we love it so much, right? We've got to protect it. And it becomes an idol. It becomes the thing of ultimate concern. It actually thwarts ministry. Or I love the idol of but we've always done it this way. It's like the idol of tradition, but it's always been done this way. This is the way we do it. Yeah, but maybe it's not working. Maybe we have five people showing up. We should do something different. Oh, we can't. The idol of, but that's where I sit in Sunday service. That's my pew. We can see it easily in other people, right? I, I mean, I'm happy to tell you some of my idols, right? Uh, I, I have a giant screen sitting in a room where every chair faces it 
I put it up high, and this is what I'm going to do when I get home today, and I'm going to put on golf or something to fall asleep to, and I'm going to be like, I'm going to worship at the idol of my television. Oh, TV, numb me out, please. I have too many feelings. The world is a mess. I mean, literally, right? I'm terrified about the Ukrainian conflict and what might happen. The idol of money, and I, we're probably all guilty of this. So idolatry is so rampant that we don't even notice it. We don't even realize it. And here's the hardest part, is that it's not just Joe, it's that it's wrapped up in our communities. It's wrapped up in our entire culture. So it begins to shape us so that it's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong if I spend all my money on me and my family. And there's nothing wrong if my goal is to live a very comfortable, safe life. There's nothing wrong anymore with this. this is, in fact, this is what it means to be a good Christian dad. Make sure your family's safe and well-protected. Then we make family an idol. Family becomes an idol because I use this as an excuse not to engage the gospel or God or to be faithful. Why well, can't? I've got young kids. I can't. I, I'm too busy. And they, they become the thing that I center on rather than on God. So this Lenten season, what would it be like if we began to try to reprioritize our lives somewhat? Reprioritize. I'm not going to get rid of all the idols in my life, but maybe I can identify one. Something in my life I value too much. I value it in such a way that it keeps me from being the person God is calling me to be, the husband, pastor, professor that God is calling me to be, and how about I remove it for 46 days? You can start now. You can remove it for 35 days. Who cares? We'll start now. But this is a way to combat idolatry, right? Things in my life I value too much, with too much frequency, with too much fervor, that are not good for me. Can I, th can I think of one thing and invert that? Here's the hard part. I don't know if you're like me. The hard part is, okay, so God's supposed to be at the top of my priority list. God, God is the number one. That's how I avoid idolatry. But I don't always know what that looks like because God is a spirit. God's like ethereal. Like, what, what does that mean in a tangible, practical way? So I'm going to try to help. Here's what I think about. What would it mean for the, for the character traits of God to become number one in my life? the fruits of the Spirit. How do I emphasize fruits of the Spirit like kindness, gentleness, self-control, love, like in, in the agape kind of unconditional sense, service, compassion. How, how about I take the characteristics, the attributes of God, and I put those primary, right? Or taking one of them this season and making it primary, in my mind, that's, that's the easiest way I know how to conceive of putting God at the top. What are God's attributes? How do I start to give my time, money, attention to those tangible things so that some of this other stuff that I fill my life with melts away? This is what I hear Paul saying in 1 Corinthians. Do you want to live differently, Joe? You want to be free from this junk that you clutter your life with? You want to disentangle yourself? Well, you get to, and God provides that way to do it. So 
Here's the gift. And when I hear Paul saying it like that, I'm like, we're buddies. <laughs> when I feel like Paul's shaking his finger at me, I'm like digging my heels in, right? Let's just, let's just shift the way we understand the tone. The, I mean, God is offering us this, a wonderful gift this, this Lent season, and I challenge you to take it. I want you to spend, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna stand. You can sit however you want to worship in that last song, but I want you to think about the things that entangle and ensnare you, the idols that you place with too much priority, and I want you to think about one way you might take away some of its power this Lenten season. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. We're grateful to someone like Paul who can be tough, but he says it as directly as he can. This stuff leads to death and it's unnecessary, but God leads to life. Let us find a way to put you first in big and small ways this Lenten season, Lord. Give us the wisdom to understand and to know and the courage to put it into practice. Amen.